0: From the Political Science Department at UW-Madison, I'm Adam Wigger.
1: I'm Mia Wagner.
0: And I'm Michael Makowski. In this podcast series, we will speak with UW-Madison faculty members and other experts to hear their thoughts on the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as the political and global changes that the situation has warranted. This is 1050 Bascom, COVID-19. Today on 1050 Bascom, we are grateful to have the opportunity to talk to Casey Lucchini Butcher, a public historian and award winning museum curator who is the director of UW Madison's Public History Project. With the rise of a renewed civil rights movement and the Black Lives Matter movement this summer, we thought now would be the perfect time to talk about the mission of the project, which is recovering the stories of those who experienced prejudice and bigotry on the UW Madison campus and demanding full equality. We'll ask Casey how this mission and the project's goals have evolved and changed over the course of the last year and into the summer. Thank you so much for joining us today, Casey.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Before we get into anything else, do you want to give us and the listeners a little bit of background on your role with the Public History Project and what the Public History Project uh, kind of aims to do?
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, I'm the public history project director. I started last year in August, so August of 2019. So I just celebrated my one year anniversary at UW. Um, And the project rose out, there were a couple things that happened all in the same time period. So in 2016, there was a campus wide climate survey and the results of that survey, um, I think showed campus that there was um, a poor racial climate on campus and that a lot of our student body didn't feel represented, didn't feel welcomed. Um, and didn't feel safe on campus. And then following the violence in Charlottesville in 2017, the chancellor um, formed a committee to research the history of the Ku Klux Klan on campus. So there were two student groups that took the name of the KKK on campus and a report came out in 2018, um, which is accessible online, Um, And it kind of details the groups and their activities and some of the members, Um, but one of the things that the report points out is that the focus on the Klan actually obscures our much larger and longer history of racism at UW-Madison. And that focusing on maybe one group or two groups would not give us the full picture of exclusion and discrimination at UW. And so they asked the chancellor to create this project, and she did. Um, and so we are a multi-year effort to uncover and give voice to the histories of racism and exclusion at UW. We just got started about a year ago, so we've been working steadily since then.
0: Maybe do you want to tell us a little bit about what your role is and what like you do day to day with the project?
1: Yeah so um, day to day I kind of look at myself as a cruise director so I thought you know prior to the project that I would spend a lot of time doing research and I would say research is about 10 or 15 percent of my job. Um, Most of the time I'm doing a lot of project management Um, so looking at getting making sure that everything that we're doing with the project serves this larger goal of helping the university reckon with its history. Um, So part of that is making sure that we're doing lots of community engagement events, figuring out how we can bring this history to the community and how we can also get their feedback on this history. Um, Another portion is making sure that we're sharing the history that we've uncovered. So we have a blog where people can see the history research that we've done. Um, We have an Instagram account where we share the history that we've uncovered and also things and artifacts and ephemera that we find in the archive. Um, And so I manage all of those. And then we're also doing some long range planning, right? Figuring out and making sure that our timeline is set for the exhibit. Um, that we're working towards making our website stronger so that we have a digital exhibit website as well as a repository for all of our archival materials. Um, And then looking at these kinds of legacy elements of the project, right? Um, What are we gonna do once we know this history? How are we gonna use this history to make campus a more equitable place? Um, And so any given day I am doing any and all of those things.
0: Do you wanna talk a little bit about what you guys found with that 2016 climate survey and some of the things that kind of triggered um the development of this project
1: yeah um so i think that the climate survey for some was really shocking right and i think that's what we saw after it was immediately published was that a lot of people on campus were shocked and surprised to learn that this is how students felt But I think for another smaller population on campus students have been voicing these concerns for decades um, if not the entire history of UW. Um, So one of the things that was interesting to me about the report is some of the concerns that were raised by students for example microaggressions in the classroom. We have found that in the historical record since the 50s that black students have been complaining about microaggressions in the classroom and in campus spaces. Um, talking about safety as a concern has also been something that was raised throughout history by Black students and other students of color. Um, And so when these issues kind of came up in the campus climate report, um, I think what you saw is that the larger campus community for the first time possibly had to actually face some of the consequences and look at some of the consequences of having a poor racial climate on campus. Again, I think this is one of the things about this project that makes it impactful and powerful is that we have history to talk to all of these incidents on campus so we know that students have been voicing these concerns for a long time and I think for some in our community seeing that the concerns raised by students of color in the past five years are in fact not unique and that students of color have been fighting for these things for 10, 20, 40, 60 years. I think putting it in that context will be powerful for people who especially are just now jumping into the conversation about anti-racism and about how we build a more equitable campus community. And so for me, when I look at the campus climate report, I think that it was an important way for everyone in our community to be aware of things that have been going on for a really long time. And so it had this kind of power of bringing that to light so that we could begin to really have these conversations.
0: Earlier in your last answer, you mentioned kind of the development of an exhibit with this project do you want to go into that a little bit further about what you guys are planning to do to showcase some of this information that you guys have found
1: yeah i'd love to talk about our project outcomes just generally since i kind of just hopped into it there um so yeah the project has a lot of outcomes and most of these outcomes we've created in collaboration with community but at the same time i'll just preface by saying that um every all of our project outcomes are flexible right so we're constantly working with community, listening to them and figuring out how they want this history to be impactful. And so some of these products might change, we might add some, um, but our rough outline right now is we have a kind of slew of project outcomes. So first we're gonna have a physical exhibit. Um, so our, our project will culminate in a pretty traditional museum exhibit, something that you know I think a lot of our students have been to and a lot of our campus community has been to, um, which will just lay out some of the history that we found. Um, and so we're doing risk history research all the time. We're finding stories all the time. And the exhibit will be an important way for us to string a lot of these histories together and to create a cohesive narrative about what this history will mean for us. So that exhibit will be somewhere on Central Campus. We're finding space right now. Um, and it will have lots of material from the archives in it, posters, oral histories, videos. And it will allow our campus community to engage with the history. Um, We will also have a digital exhibit website so that will allow people who can't come to campus or don't want to come to campus to also engage and so the digital exhibit will have everything that's in the physical exhibit plus a lot of extra stories. Um, Physical exhibits are always limited by their size and so our website will allow us to tell even more history. Um, We're also building a archival research database on our website. And so that will allow anyone in our community to look through the archival material that we use to create the exhibit and to see it for themselves Um, so you'll be able to see a footnote and automatically see that document in real time we're also developing curricular materials um, and so we want to produce educational materials including lesson plans that can translate the project's findings into lectures and seminar activities that get this history into the classroom for our students Um, And so at this point, you know, it's difficult to identify what those curricular components will be, but we want to make sure that they're adaptable to diverse units across campus. Um, And we're also looking into how can we make sure that students get this information immediately, right? So we don't want to wait until they're in their third or fourth year at UW to learn this history. So we're also looking at how we can get this to them through orientation materials as well. Um, And then we're looking at doing, and we're doing this now and we're going to continue through the end of the project, but we're doing a lot of community engagement. So right now, we're giving lots of public lectures, we do class visits, we do listening sessions, um, and they're all kind of geared towards the community that we're meeting with that day. Um, To get this history out there, but also to begin with people on our community in the process of engaging with this history. We don't have to wait to know the full picture of racism at UW to begin talking about racism at UW. Um, And so some of that is more traditional academic outputs like lecture series. Um, But we're also wanting to make sure that we're not always just following that same mode and method. So we're looking at doing an art exhibit, having spoken word, um, doing walking tours, um, podcasts, um, video products to make sure that all of the ways that this history can be learned and engaged with, the community has access to. And then we are going to do one more traditional academic output. We will have a framing document at the end, which just kind of outlines this history in a final written product and summarizes our research findings. Um, And we think that that's important to have in the archives and in the libraries so that um, when students want to learn this history, they have a place where they can find it. That's one of the biggest challenges for us in this project so far is that there's not one place that you can go and learn about the history of racism and discrimination at UW. And so we're hoping that we can fix that.
0: This is such a, a noble goal and I love it. I could talk about it all day. What, <laughs> what has what has the community engagement looked like with you guys now or now that the pandemic, you know, we're in full swing of the pandemic and I'm, you guys were working beforehand, what has what has shifted in your guys' engagement with the community or what is what is maybe looking different now?
1: Yeah, I think that's one of the toughest parts about the pandemic was, you know, the first fall semester that we were a project, we were researching, but I was also just trying to get up to date trying to learn about everything at UW, trying to figure out where the history was, who to talk to, and who to meet with. And by spring, I felt really prepared to do these listening sessions with student groups and with community leaders, and then the pandemic hit. And so we had to cancel all of them in person. Um, But we still have found ways to engage our community. So we're doing lots of online public lectures. So we did four in the spring. Um, with different student groups and we use different methods. So that was interesting too, you get to see, okay, how do students engage best, right? Is it Zoom or should we do something that's pre-recorded so people can engage whenever they want? Um, So we've been kind of figuring out that process as we go, Um, but we're still trying to keep a robust schedule of engagement. So we're doing um, public lectures throughout the fall. We do class visits every year all the time. So I'm going to lots of classes um, and talking with students. We're also doing listening sessions. So those happen in smaller groups. Um, And the point is to kind of share some history, but also to allow the community to help us shape the project. So it's not about the research that I think is interesting or that I wanna accomplish. It's not about the project outcomes that I want. It's about what the community wants. How can this history serve our campus community? And that's the kind of core question that I'm asking myself all the time and asking students and alumni and faculty and community leaders, because I want them to have an active stake in shaping the project. And so, yeah, that's been difficult, not having the face-to-face interactions. But I think we're all kind of adapting to this new normal. And so we're trying to take advantage of all the digital tools that we can. Um, And then we're still keeping people up to date on our research using our websites. We have a blog where we publish blog articles written by our student researchers. And then we also have an Instagram account, so we share lots of fun things on the Instagram account, things that are a little lighter, um, interesting things we find in the archive, and also our research.
0: This summer has obviously been a tumultuous time for race relations in the United States. What has that meant for the Public History Project then? Are you guys like, or I guess, what has that looked like?
1: Um, I think there's no way that we can separate this project from um, the movement that's going on right now and the conversations that are happening right now. Um, At the core of this project, it's not just a research project. Um, That's obviously the first part, the first step in this is figuring out what is the history. Um, But I think where the real work is gonna be done and and where the reckoning with our history is gonna be done is in what comes after, right? Um, What do we want to learn from this history? What kind of changes do we wanna make based on this history? Um, And how can we start to create the more equitable campus community that we want to see? Um, And I would argue that, you know, in the uprising and as a nation right now, we are having to reckon with some history. Um, There is a long history of police brutality in this country. Um, There is a long history of racial inequality in this country. And I think the tensions that you're seeing is that we haven't properly reckoned with that history. And so we're doing a lot of that now. Um, and and my hope is that by doing this as a campus community, we can set an example for other communities that need to do this as well. Because I would argue that it's incumbent upon every community to really dig into their history and figure out how their history is contributing to their present.
0: Absolutely, I could not say it better myself. I know the focus of this project is history, but a lot of these issues are extremely present and they continue to today. And they don't always happen on campus either. And I know. Angelica User published a blog post with the Public History Project where she highlights the reality that many black women and other marginalized populations on campus face like violence and things on campus and off campus. And I'm, she specifically talks about earlier uh, this summer when Althea Bernstein was um, attacked in Madison on West Gorham near State Street when she had, you know, like lighter fluid thrown on her and a flaming lighter thrown at her. How do these like off-campus incidents speak to the climate of campus and like why it's important for not just campus, but also the community to understand the way that these things work?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great article to highlight. Um, So Angelica studied a lot of things while she was researching for the project. She's still researching with us. Um, And she came to me and pitched this article. And we had been talking about the uprising and talking about the pandemic and I said, you should do it. Um, She had found a history of a racialized attack on a Black woman in the 80s. And she had seen a lot of parallels between her experience as a Black graduate student and the experiences of other Black women on campus. And she wanted to open up that conversation. And to me, that is the exact goal of the Public History Project. She used a historical incident to open up a conversation not only about her experience, but about the experience of the marginalized population on our campus. Um, And I think that what it points to for me is that, one, we don't know our history, right? A lot of people in our community don't know that that attack happened, or they may not know that more recent attacks continue to happen. And when we start to connect those dots for people, when we start to say, these incidents have been going on since the 1960s, they continued in the 80s, and they continue to today, we start to make a more clear line, and we can actually start to do something. Um, when you see these incidents as specific and not connected to larger histories, you miss the gravity and the impact that that has on students because students of color know this history. They know that this happened. Angelica knew beyond this incident in the 80s, all of the incidents that have happened in the past couple years that she's been at UW. Um, and so just because we as you know, white community members aren't making those connections doesn't mean that our students of color aren't. And so opening up that conversation about our history and our present is a huge goal of this project. I would say one of the core goals of this project and Angelica's article feeds perfectly into that. I would also add, you know, we think about UW Madison as a closed community, right? That somehow when you step on campus, you are safer or when you, you know, leave campus, people will still see you as a student. And that line is really thin. And I think Angelica's article highlights that, right? When she steps off foot steps off campus as a black woman people don't may not know that she's a student and her her safety is at risk in our larger madison community as a black woman who has to traverse the city Um, and that is a concern that i think that the university hasn't always addressed in the past And, and it's something that they struggle to address right how much can they really control off campus but these experiences our students of color and students who may want to come to uw know about these incidents And so how are we going to make sure that we protect them? And how are we going to make sure that our history can help inform this conversation?
0: Absolutely. And on that, do you ever face any political backlash in your role, either from uh, people in the community or even among people from the university?
1: Yeah, I think that when people see a project like this, there's a lot of misconceptions about the type of work that we do. So, you know, some people have said to me, well, you're just trying to make the university look bad. Um, And that's not what we're trying to do. I think there are histories that we can't not talk about. And those histories do make us look bad. But at the same time, much of the history we're covering is the history of resistance, of struggle, of protest, and it's hopeful. It's uplifting. It shows that students of color have always been fighting to make this institution better, that they've always been maneuvering within the institution to make space for themselves and to find what they need. And those stories don't make us look bad, right? They show that this is a long fight and that our history is, of course, a factor in our present. Um, But I think that the work of this project is inherently political and we've shaped it to be that way. And so, There are many people who are uncomfortable with the work that we we've done and with the work that we plan to do um but we don't i don't let that stop me (laughs) um i think that if you are getting some bad pushback and some feedback it's good all of it's good um, because it helps us inform the conversation i think a lot of times it illuminates people's fears about doing anti-racist work about really reckoning with our history And for me, I find that information useful because I can help shape our products better to speak to those people, to bring them along with us, to meet them where they're at, so that they're also getting educational value out of this project. Um, We haven't faced any major pushback yet because we've been flying under the radar for the most part. Um, I think a lot of people know about our work, um, but some of the people I think who would be more vocal or who would put more energy into stopping the project haven't heard about the work that we're doing yet. Um, But we're prepared for that. I knew that when I took this job, I knew that when I started this work, that it was inherently a political act and that the work that we would put out would really make some people upset. Um, And I came into that prepared and we've shaped the project to be ready for that.
0: Sometimes students that are white and conservative on campus, they kind of feel some of this talk alienating, or they find that they are alienated on campus for being conservative or being white and conservative. What do you think that this project offers for students that feel that way?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. I've dealt with this in my previous work as well. Um, And I think what it speaks to is that we're all at a different place in our understanding about racism and discrimination and about systems of inequality. Um, And so for me, What I try to do in this work is meet people where they're at. So um, since we're all in that different place, since we're all in that different journey, the way that I speak to you or the way that I speak to my friends or the way that I speak to my peers, you know, it's going to be different depending on what I know about their knowledge level about issues about anti-racism and where they're at in this journey. And we are shaping the project to speak to that need. The point of a project like this is not to speak to a small community, it's to speak to the entire community and to bring everybody along with us. Because I believe that's the only way that we're gonna make this project effectual and the only way that we're gonna make change on campus is to get a groundswell of people to come along with us on this journey. And so part of it is framing the discussion in ways, I think, with this history where people don't feel personally blamed. Um, It is not your fault that this racist incident happened 50 years ago. You weren't here, you weren't born. Um, but that doesn't mean that you don't have a responsibility when you see those incidents happening today and when you see echoes of that happening today. You're not personally to blame, but you do have a responsibility to work against making sure that it doesn't happen again. And so when you frame this history in a way that allows people to see, um, to not feel blamed, to not shut down in the conversation, but to learn and to come along with you, I think you can have more fruitful conversations. And so in my previous job, um, I worked as a co-curator for an exhibit in Minneapolis called Owning Up, Racism and Housing in Minneapolis, which detailed the history of racial housing discrimination. And we were having two or three community conversations a week. And so they were anywhere from 10 to 40 people. And it was a Q&A. And it was, you know, free form. So we had lots of people who would come and say, you know, I worked hard for my house. I bought my house fair and square. Um, And I'm not discriminating because I own a house. And I would say you're not. You're absolutely not. But you do need to realize that this history informed your experience of buying a house. So the fact that you were able to get credit, that is a historical precedent set into banking that gave you the privilege of getting credit. The fact that you live in a neighborhood that was redlined for white neighbors and not for black neighbors, that gives you an advantage in buying a house. The fact that your parents and your grandparents were able to do the same—that's an advantage. So it doesn't take away from that person's hard work. It doesn't take away from their experience of being a homeowner, but it does ask them to resituate themselves in the history, to think differently about their perspective, and also, I believe, to empathize with other people who may not have their same experiences. And I think that there's a there's situations in UW's history where we can do the same thing. Um, with our students today and and to kind of open up those conversations for people who may say, well, this doesn't matter to me or I don't agree with you or I don't need to be a part of this conversation.
0: Yeah, I could not say that better than better than that in any way. I definitely think like the recognition is such an important aspect of that. Now, what might you say to the students on the other side of that, like the students that are BIPOC, are students of color, our colleagues at the university? What might you say to the ones that um see this project and they are still saying like i still feel marginalized i'm still uncomfortable in this predominantly white middle class community um what can what can those students take away from the public history project
1: yeah and i like i tell those students all the time this project in and of itself is not a reckoning doing the historical work does not equal a reckoning presenting the history of racism does not dispel racism. It's what we do with this history when we're completed with it that will shape our experiences and will shape the campus community that we want to build. Um, And so I think there's a few things that this history can do immediately. First of all, in my talks with students of color, they say, you know, they feel gaslighted. Um, They feel that they are constantly raising the alarm on discrimination they're saying that these violent acts are happening and that their white peers and white administrators and white faculty downplay those fears and say well actually this isn't happening or you're exaggerating or these things haven't happened in a long time and so i think the history will be reaffirming it will show students of color that their experiences are valid that other people have faced the same obstacles that they have and they've overcome them and they've survived their experiences at UW. I would also say um, that some of our history of protests and of resistance, I think will be useful for students to figure out how to organize and agitate the university for change. Because what we're seeing in this history is that students of color never quietly stayed on the margins and took their marginalization. They were constantly fighting for an equal place in the university. And they were organizing across social demographics, they were organizing across their you know, years, across their majors, across the community to fight for what they wanted in the university. And so I think some of that history will inform um, students and hopefully help them in this struggle. But I also tell those students that part of the work of this project is making sure that this history is useful. That is one of the core tenets of doing public history. It's getting history and putting it to work in the world. So I ask students, how do you want this history to work for you? I think that there are ways that we can frame this project. There's research that we can do that we can give to student organizations and we can give to students that they can then use to advocate for change on campus. And so I'm in these conversations making sure that that's the center of this conversation. What products do you want so that you can better advocate for the change you want to see on campus? Because that's how we're going to make the material change. Um, people have a real respect for history. They have a curiosity and a hunger for it. And I think that history can be one of the many tools we use to fight injustice.
0: I love that phrase you said, um, organize and agitate. I think that we can all take that to heart. And kind of as we're wrapping up, um, I know a lot of our listeners, especially as podcast listeners, enjoy like audio and oral history because... That's the medium that we operate in. But do you want to share some of your insights, especially as an oral historian, about the importance of some of these like anecdotal and passed down stories, as opposed to like some of the harder like data about uh, this subject?
1: Yeah, I can't overstate how important oral history is when doing this work. Um, so there's a couple of reasons why that is. First, um, the archives don't adequately tell the story of students of color and their experiences on campus. And there are many reasons for that, historical and present um, that go into the decisions about what we keep in our archives and what we don't. Um, But at UW, we face the same problem that every archive has, which is we do not have an abundance of records about black student experience, about Chicano student experience, about native student experience. And so we are as a project at, um, I mean, we're at a challenging place in that we are constantly struggling to find the histories that we want to uncover because we don't have this documentation. And oral history is one of the ways that we work against that. When I first started at the project and started meeting with alumni and community leaders, they were the ones who knew about all of the histories and all of the stories and the things. We'd be having a conversation and they'd say, well, you know, don't you remember that thing that happened in 1987? And oh yeah, I do remember that actually they are the ones who hold the history and them knowing that something happened in the fall of 1987 makes our life easier when we go research because we can say hey we better go check the daily cardinal from the fall of 1987. so they give us good leads about where to find this because they lived that experience but when we actually sit down and do a formal oral history with them we get so much more than just historical information about the past right Yes, we get all the information and facts about how how a protest came about, how it was organized, who they partnered with, what their philosophy was, the signs that they made, how they were thinking about it in the moment, how they responded to the National Guard being called in. You get all of that history information and you get that person's individual experience, what it felt like. Those are the things that a document could never tell you. Um, And so they provide us with such a more intimate and interesting way of understanding history. I also think, um, you know, as people and as human beings, we love to connect with other people's stories. We learn a lot from hearing people tell their stories, from listening to their experiences and from empathizing with their experiences. And oral histories allow you to do that. I've noticed in my work that when I give newspaper articles and documents and say, this is the historical incident that happened, people are like, okay, great. But when an elder tells that same story, it takes on a whole new life of its own. It's so much richer. It's so much more meaningful. And it adds so much more colors to the conversation than what a document or newspaper articles could ever provide. Um, And so I think when we talk about racism and doing history of racism, that's really important. There will be a lot of people who want to say, well, was that incident racist, right? Did that actually cause harm? And if we have oral histories of people talking about that harm, saying how that incident affected them and how it changed their lives, that allows people to empathize with their experience and say, wow, I I can actually see how that incident would have been harmful to you. Um, And so I think that it not only gives us this kind of better history, but it also allows people to really connect and to empathize outside of their own experiences so that we can begin to have these really tough conversations that are coming, right? We're going to have to have some difficult conversations about racism, about the impact of people's actions. Um, And those things will be helpful, and they will be more meaningful if we can do that with people, not just historical documents.
0: Absolutely. Now, as we're we're wrapping up here, do you have any advice for how students, alumni, listeners, uh, community members can get involved and participate in telling their story about uh, injustice and equality on campus and in Madison?
1: Yes, please contact us. Um, We are constantly looking for new people to do interviews with. We do a lot of outreach, but if we haven't reached out to you yet, please contact us um we have a lot of ways that you can participate and follow along so we have our blog um which is great it allows you to see all the new research that we're doing and we've actually had a lot of people come to us after reading blog posts and share more information with us um and so that's been really great we also have an instagram account so you can follow our new history Um, we're at public at uw public history project um and then we ask people to email us. If you have a story that you want to share, if there is an incident you think should be covered, if there's someone in UW's history that you don't think has been adequately admired or given credit for their work, please email us. Um, We are constantly looking for new stories. Some of the best leads that we've gotten on where history is in the archive and who we should interview and stories we should cover have come from people just emailing us. Um, And we've made great connections that way. So if you have something that you think this project absolutely cannot miss, please contact us. Um, Our email address is whisk.edu.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today, Casey. It has been awesome to hear about this incredibly important project and the extremely important work that it is doing in the community.
1: Thank you so much. This has been great.
0: For more information regarding the podcast, please visit polisci.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. For more information on the university's policies and responses to the pandemic, please visit covid19.wisc.edu. You can find more episodes on all streaming platforms. And if you enjoyed this episode, please rate, follow, and subscribe. Thanks for listening to 1050 Bascom, COVID-19. Stay safe and take care of each other.